Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week, this year of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is an honor to be back with all of you again in 2023, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. And now as we get back rolling again with the podcast, we have more insanity, more news that uh, you will just uh, not hear much of in other venues uh, that uh, I will cover, review, and pontificate with you about. There continues to be sort of the um, unhinged woke left, if you will. The universities continue to be the bastion, the ground zero of this battle. We're going to talk today about the art professor that was fired. Oh, but according to the universities, wasn't fired. That was let go because of her crime of showing a historical picture, an artwork rendition of the Prophet Muhammad. We'll also talk about the Saudis celebrating Christmas. Yes, the Saudis on their official newspaper had a front page headline about celebrating Christmas. And a little bit about Muslim reformers and what the faux reformers of the Islamists in America, when they talk about reform, what they actually mean. Let's talk first about what happened at Hamlin University, a small school in Minnesota, and a professor by the name of Erica Lopez Prater. An adjunct faculty member at Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota, was fired for the crime of showing images of the Prophet Muhammad. This isn't a new crime, as you all know. Uh, the politically correct police, the politically correct police have been um, uh, stepping back in fear and trying to control free speech, to control what gets put out there. We saw this already back in the Danish cartoon episode in 2007, where the world started to be driven by uh, crazy riots and rallies and other things by Islamists from Pakistan and Afghanistan all the way to France and Denmark. And ultimately, they cowed. They went down on bended knee and genuflected to the radical Islamists, telling them that they would not show more cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, there were those who protested. There were those who stood for Western values and uh, rebelled, but they were in the minority. You can look back at the history of the Danish cartoons and the heroes of that struggle. Then we saw with ISIS and their attacks, their wanton terror attacks to all over the planet that were driven also, as we saw with an attack in 2015 on Charlie Hebdo, the magazine, the liberal far-left magazine that intentionally published the pictures of the Prophet Muhammad and the cartoons in order on their cover to show that they will not be cowed. They will not genuflect to the theocrats. And to that courage, to that courage, they paid dearly with 13, 14, I can't remember, 17 killed, many more injured in an attack on their magazine in France. 
the same attackers. I think there were 13 killed in Paris, and then they went on to kill more at a kosher deli, and then went on into a different country, I believe, Italy or Belgium or somewhere else at the time. But these militants, these radicalized ISIS Islamists, decided that they were going to make them pay a price for simply showing a picture that they said was the Prophet Muhammad. This is where we are. So since then, there have been uh, multiple small little hiccups here and there of, of small stories. And at the end of the day, the West has refused to cover this. The West has refused to realize what is at stake here. Professor Prater at Hamlin University, I think now has sort of been at the right time in the right place as this story has gotten coverage by left and right. New York Times and others have talked about this. Now, have they talked about it with the right with the right emphasis on the parts of the story that need to be discussed? Not necessarily, and I'll get into that today. So Prater told her students, she's an art history professor, she told her students that I'm going to show in a lecture tomorrow, and then she said it right before the lecture, paintings from the 14th and 16th century that are treasured historical Islamic paintings of the Prophet Muhammad. If this bothers you, you can leave. If this is something that offends you, I don't mean to do that. This is part of an art history course. You may step out. A firestorm followed, however, and sure enough, one of the Muslim students there, who's also, surprise, surprise, a member of the jihadis in training, the Muslim Student Association, decided to file a complaint. This happened, by the way, back in October 2022. Complaint was filed a few weeks later, and the story has only now, in late, in the last week of December through the holidays, come to light. And that's because of the removal of the professor and the non-renewal of her contract as an adjunct faculty member. The firestorm that followed after a Muslim student and her fellow Islamist operatives campaigned to get her fired were about Islamophobia, about their offense, how much disrespect they felt as Muslims. But the protesters were clueless. The school and its dean of students cowardly caved and parroted the radical Islamist line that the instructor was undeniably, as they said, this is what the Islamists said, these little adolescently-minded Islamists, that they were undeniably inconsiderate and disrespectful and Islamophobic by showing the paintings. But never mind, folks, that the Prophet Muhammad has been depicted in countless historic Islamic paintings in, in, in large Muslim countries, in museums. Or to understand how muddled brain this thinking reveals is when anyone points out that a global gesture of goodwill is an actual sculpture of the Prophet Muhammad that's perched above the press seating area inside the U.S. Supreme Court chamber. And even Islamists who try to fit in and are, 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 are more civilizational and less terroristic in their techniques, even Islamists have step back as MPAC, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, one of the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups in the West, came out with a press release only last week, exclaiming their disgust with the, the response that the, at, at the restrictions of the academic freedom of the teacher. 
But this story, ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, is not isolated. Firing people for no reason is becoming the standard operating procedure across universities, teaching institutions, and traditional and social media platforms in America and the West. I'll remind you, we broke the story on this podcast in May 2020 that our American Islamic Forum for Democracy had good friend of ours, Professor Nick Damask of Scottsdale Community College, had to go into hiding. What was his crime? Giving a quiz that simply asked about the perceived influence of Islam and the Quran on the militants of Al-Qaeda or ISIS. And he was also targeted by a global firestorm that launched against him on social media by Islamist influencers. Started with an Islamist either rap artist or a comedian that was British, originally Pakistani that had put a snapshot of the three quiz questions that did the offense of asking about the connection of Islamic theology to Al-Qaeda. And really it was about the terrorist thinking, not about whether it's real or not. He was later entirely vindicated after a court settlement against the university as CARES, the Council on American Islamist Relations, Islamic Relations, uh, had their Islamist lawsuit thrown out. But as is always the case, to much less fanfare or attention came his vindication. And CARE at the time sued the school and sued to end the class. He's now back reinstated and the numbers of cases of these with professors is just too numerous to count. How many university professors? How many speakers? How many of us Muslim reformers, dissidents, or students need to be fired or canceled before the American public recognizes what is at stake for our country and the free world? And this is no exaggeration, ladies and gentlemen. This story that has gotten a little more traction than usual in the last few weeks really stands at the nexus of one of the major, major conflicts happening in the West politically, theologically, and culturally today. Think back, what's going on? We've had debates in politics about transgender issues, surgical interventions to change the sex of an adolescent and whether parents have rights or not, discussions of what should and should not be taught in junior and high school, discussions of free speech, political correctness, removal from social media because of certain commentary. The woke left has used the free speech front as one of its main battlefronts. The woke left has used the educational system in which they distribute books about critical race theory and racism in order to claim that everybody in America are bigots and become indoctrinated in that ideology and CRT as part of their frontline thinking. This line of thinking and the exploitation of an identity group has never been lifted up as much and as clear as it is within the Muslim community. And these Muslims that respond this way and then get a professor fired are the if you will, the tool, the litmus test 
the flashpoint, just like a bully that will find one person and then make an example out of them to, order to suppress the response of the rest. And that's exactly what the Islamists and their relationship with the woke left, the racial identity movements, whether it's BLM or CRT or whatever it might be, they are using the Islamic issue for a bullying suppression of free thinking. Now, my faith of Islam, a faith that I love, has sadly found a hallowed space of protection in the world that no other major religions are currently afforded. And as the son of Syrian immigrants, and as an American whose family came to the U.S. for religious and political freedom back in the late 60s, I, I find this all rather profoundly disgusting. And as my piece in the Daily Mail talked about today, the, the ultimate form of bigotry is this bigotry of low expectations, where somehow Muslims are coddled and treated as three, four-year-olds that are going to have a little hissy fit if somebody shows a picture that might offend a conservative attitude, an orthodox attitude and interpretation. It is, it is absurd. Now, just as a footnote, the whole issue of the imagery of the Prophet Muhammad does whittle down into one of the central tenets that Muslims believe the reason for our existence, that we don't just become Christians, that there are a few theological differences that evolved. One of them is the Trinity and the discussion of original sin um, and the discussion of the theological, the uh, deification of Jesus. So to that point, a, a small Sub, 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 sub point of that is that imagery, it is felt that anything that deifies a human being from Muhammad to anyone. So as a result, you will find that um, Muslim cemeteries do not have significant uh, large headstones, etc., all the way to uh, lack of uh, pictures. The, the most orthodox in the community won't put any pictures of family in their house, etc. It becomes, as with every theological belief, it is brought to its extreme as much as um, is humanly possible. And part of that extreme nature is not to find any pictures. One of the classic movies about the Prophet Muhammad's life called The Messenger, done through Hollywood, uh, never showed the face or any actor portraying the Prophet Muhammad as a result. Do I agree with that? It treats us as children. It treats the world Muslim community as if it's on the verge of waiting for the deification of an individual, which, which is absurd. But bottom line is, is there is some theology rooted in that, that Obviously, many of us uh, might believe in in a much smaller, more rational way. But the irrational is to say that statues and otherwise are prohibited. And yet, the Supreme Court has a statue of the Prophet Muhammad that is felt to be a gesture of goodwill, as the Wall Street Journal said in 2015, and has been accepted by almost every Muslim individual, no matter how Islamist or otherwise. So you can see that they pick and choose. And this professor is a, another notch in, the, uh, in the, another step in the ladder of the, the woke Islamist movement to try to control the culture on campus, to control the culture of popular 
behaviors when it comes to the religion of Islam. It's a truly a bigotry of low expectations in that treating Muslims as if they're all four or five years old, or to simply say that somehow we will protect it and make it into an identity movement, that it's a race, that they all respond the same, that every Muslim is going to be offended by the same type of interpretation. Every Muslim would be offended by a picture or depiction of the Prophet Muhammad, and that caters easily to the racialization of an idea, and thus the term Islamophobia. That bigotry of low expectations caters perfectly to using the term Islamophobia because they want to make the concept of hatred and bigotry about Muslims into a suppression of any criticism of Islamic ideas. And as I've told you many times on this program, Islam is an idea. It doesn't have rights. Ideas don't have rights. Human beings do. But ideas are... are in the, on paper, they're in our mind. They, they, they don't have a right not to be criticized. If, if anything, only the weak ideas need to be protected by authoritarian mechanisms. Strong ideas do not. And yet, the, the importance of this subject and, and what's happening cannot be exaggerated. Because we witness the deference given to medieval ideas of theocrats of Islam in America, while the real heroes of reform are tortured in the streets of Iran, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and Saudi Arabia. The organization of Islamic cooperation, the, the, the block of 56 countries at the UN that vote together to hate the West, to hate America, to hate Israel, and obsess in a so-called United Nations that minimizes Western democracies in order to raise up far, far extreme left socialist regimes and their Islamist brethren in the red-green axis has never been depicted more than the victims of these professors like Professor Prater. All these government regimes and their viral movements around the world are the Islamist establishment that many of our families long fought. And sure enough, if the Muslims aren't running, it's not a Muslim professor that's suppressing free speech because of their fealty to the uh, Middle East Studies Association and their anti-Israel and anti-Western movement. It's a far-left wokest professor that's giving fealty to treating Muslims as an identity group, even though we're the most, one of the most diverse faith groups on the planet with every ethnicity, every religion, I'm sorry, every religious interpretation, but every ethnicity, every national origin. And yet we're somehow monolithic. Muslims will be offended. So that 1% of the population in America that's Muslim must all be treated the same. They can't be ideologically diverse because the idea is one, it's not diverse. And I remind you that the Islamist movements take those ideas and push them on the ground through their so-called grassroots, and yet they are parroting the establishment ideas of the regimes of Saudi Arabia and Iran and Egypt, Afghanistan with the Taliban, and on. 
they share, whether it's the Shia Khomeinist of Iran or the Muslim Brotherhood Sunni Islamist of Egypt and globally, the Islamists share the anti-American goals of the woke left. They find sanctuary in the progressivist culture that impose identity politics over reason, over meritocracy, over history and the truth of what happened in history. God forbid they actually question what happened in the historical origins of America's founding um, as opposed to trying to label us all as bigots. Yes, we evolved, thankfully, from the racism of slavery and the racism that we're still growing from, from the civil rights movement, but that does not take away the beauty of the revolution, the American revolution and our constitutional democracy. Similarly, at the founding of Islam, it wasn't all hunky-dory. The first three out of the first four caliphs, three were assassinated after the Prophet Muhammad. There were many practices and otherwise that were hardly modern and hardly democratic. Now again, that was 7th century, 6th, 7th century Arabia. No democracies in the planet existed, so standards were a little different for the planet. However, there has to be a reality of a review of that history that's based in truth, based in critique, based in reflection, not based in apologetics and denial. But the new religion today is wokeism. If you're considered to be a victim, then you're in the favored caste. In wokeism, the group defines you much like a caste system. In this victim hierarchy today, in universities across the country, Islam towers over all other religions. In this collaboration, the Islamists have joined forces with the woke so they can dominate the free world. But the universities are just the most blatant example of that. Our woke universities have become an insurgent army in every state of collectivist enablers of the Islamist movements. Every form of Islamist movements from the Khomeinist to the Muslim Brotherhood. So beware. Beware when you hear utter the word Islamophobia and brace yourselves for the full brunt of American, anti-American wokeism. Because Islamophobia is a tr- should be a trigger <laughs> word that will tell you that soon to come is identity politics and the exploitation of Muslims for their bigotry of low expectations. And This is what really irked me when the Muslim Public Affairs Council claimed to be against all of this in their press release recently and lifting up all the things that many rational people have lifted up. They said, this is not real Islamophobia. We, you know, they're wasting their time and this professor should not have been fired. Oh, see, they're still checking the box for their main constituents, which are the neo-Islamists in America. And they realize that this one is just a bridge too far. But they certainly haven't spoken up against Islamism. And I'll talk to you later about Muqtadar Khan and his recent, uh, well, his review of reformers. No one is denying that some bigotry may exist against Muslims or other minorities in society that we do in fact need to fight and protect and, and defend against. 
But calling it Islamophobia instead of simply calling it anti-Muslim bigotry implies that it's about speech and you can't criticize Islam. Wokeism's identity politic has sacrificed the freedoms of free-thinking reformist Muslims at the altar of their new religion of identity where every Westerner is a bigot until proven otherwise. Their bigotry of low expectations gives Muslims a pass on the horrific realities of women's rights, minority rights, and the rights of dissidents within our own communities. And in the last few minutes, I want to highlight on this topic the woke Islamist axis, also known as the red-green axis I've talked to you about, where cultural Marxists work hand-in-hand with Islamists that you may think they don't share any values, but yet together they unite in their hate for America and their hate for our values and their their disgust for individualism and liberty and free markets. They want to tear down our institutions, not only burning our cities, but tearing down, as the Afghani Taliban did, with tearing down the statutes of Buddha and the Buddhist history there. Their progressivist and cultural Marxism is about blind collectivism, no different than Islamism is about collectivizing Muslims. It's about snuffing out individual identity under the name of racial or ethnic identity. Just like Islamism is about snuffing out individual Muslim identity under the name of one-size-fits-all Islam. The courageous professors who dared to be the voice of reformist Muslims are at the tip of the iceberg. Hamlin University is just one example. Their takedown is part of a greater strategy to dismantle the rest of major American academia. Even our military academies, as one of the leading organizations, STARS, that's fighting this wokeism and and the military academies. And as the Free Beacon reported, that the academies can no longer even use the term terrorism because it somehow offends who? Oh, the terrorists? Really? Or they, they say that using the term terrorist implies brown-skinned people, implies bigotry, so don't use the term terrorist. Oh, my God. That's where we've gotten, ladies and gentlemen. And that's happening in our military academies. There's no limit to the insanity and fanatism, fanaticism of the woke and their Islamists. At stake here, ladies and gentlemen, is the very essence of America, the essence of our social contract of freedom of debate critical thinking and learning. The left, they carved out the religion of Islam from its typical anti-religious discourse, right? You remember the left hates religion. They're secular humanists that that uh, are supposedly all about atheism and, and uh, detest anything related to traditional religion. And yet, somehow they've bonded with the Neanderthals that are mostly still in the 13th century. So the radicalism of Islamists poses a much more fertile soil for their claim to protect the vulnerable minorities that is their typical hate for all religions. So it is a tool in the quiver of their arsenals. The woke left has decimated the study of Islam across universities, government, and media in the United States. And we see this with the rise of the Middle Eastern Studies Association and its anti-Semitism and its often ridiculous things that waver on Holocaust denial and otherwise. 
But instead, they lift up the Arabists, the Islamists, the anti-Semites, and prevent any and all discourse on radicalization, Islamism, jihadism, or Salafism. And you know, you look at what's happening in Iran now with the women, life, and liberty movement as it rages towards revolution. And yet the same ideas here in America are identified as blasphemy by Islamic regimes, and they're being suppressed so we can't even push these things here in a free America and we wonder how we wonder how we are supposed to help the the courageous heroes paying with torture and lives their lives on the streets of Iran it is unbelievable You can see now when people say, where are the moderates? The chapters of the Muslim Student Association, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, and so many other Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups continue to identify the work of Muslim reformers as Islamophobic, our work. My conversation here with you today is Islamophobic according to them. And then you wonder where the voices of moderation are when they're being snuffed, not only by the establishment Muslims here in America, but their left wokest enablers. So the impact is exponential. It's felt across diverse communities here in the West and globally. And America wants a place, a laboratory of reform for Muslims against theocratic oppressors can effectively begin and thrive has instead become a place where reform is dying. Our own universities are cutting us off at the knees with conversations. Professors can't even raise questions, and they do so with even even when they precede it with warnings and other things. They are later told they will pay a price. And even if she's reinstated, just as Nick Damask was and others, the message is out there. Don't tread. Don't question the Islamists in America, because they run the show, they need to be respected. The rest of Muslims don't matter, the ones that don't go to mosque. Remember, the, 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 this viral movement of brotherhood entities in America, they represent less than 10 to 15% of Muslims. 80 to 85% don't go to mosque and are not affiliated with any major Muslim organizations. They're the ones that, as I've told you with so many other icons, like that Islamist that was the fencer with the hijab there were other muslims in the olympic team that nobody knew about that had won more medals like like dalia muhammad and others and yet nobody cared about them so it's not about a few professors of the universities or about a few athletes or whatever it might be it's about free speech without this precious right america's gone so when you look at a small college firing or any other of a growing number of cancellations it may seem far away from all of you, but it's not. The cooperation of Islamists with the wokists and the red-green axis spells doom for our American way of life. It is said, go woke, get broke. <laughs> but it's also true that go woke, become a joke. That's what universities like Hamlin and other universities have become. They, they, they thrive off the victimhood and demonization victimization of Muslims and the Islamists, they are so glad to have found a kindred spirit that allows them to be the victim extraordinaire. And yet, as Noor Dahri, a Muslim reformer, tweeted recently, he said, 
after I've just told you about what Muslims are working with here in the in the West where we're a minority, he said, when we Muslims are in the majority, this is what we do. They convert others. They don't give minorities full or equal rights. They teach non-Muslims Islam in schools. They do da'wah or education or conversion or evangelism of Islam to non-Muslims and hope they accept it. They threaten them with blasphemy laws. They imprison them. They torture them. They don't allow them to build temples. They don't give them their rights. And yet when we Muslims are in the minority... We expect full and equal rights. We build mosques everywhere. We don't allow our kids to learn other religions and we still preach da'wah and convert people. If we aren't allowed to do so, we use violence if we can't cry Islamophobia. Obviously, he's saying we. They're obviously mostly silent majority that don't do that, but the Islamists that are running the show, the establishment are the we. They are the leaders representing us and it's a reality. And by the way, I have to give you a little epilogue here so far. The president of Hamlin University was fiercely defending the school this week after it allegedly axed the art teacher. The drama at Hamlin University unfolded further, and the student did a number of interviews where she said, I'm 23 years old. I've never seen a picture of the prophet. Never in my whole life. It hurts. It breaks my heart to stand here to tell people and beg people to understand me, to feel what I feel. She said during a press conference hosted by CARE, the Council on American Islamist Radicalization. I'm sorry, American Islamic Relations. Now, the president wasn't backing down. The president released a long diatribe in which they argued that he said, my institution, Hamlin University, is a small liberal arts college located in St. Paul, has been in the news lately. The New York Times ran an article leading with the headline, profit image shown in class fraying the campus. Then he goes on. Various so-called stakeholders interpreted the incident as reported in various media as one of academic freedom. The Times went so far as to cite Penn America's claim that what was happening on our campus was one of the most egregious violations of academic freedom it had ever encountered. It begs the question, how? He's taking this opportunity to comment upon and in several important instances correct the record. First, that the professor was not fired. She simply did not have, she didn't lose her job. She was not let go. She was simply just not renewed. <laughs> oh my God. Is that, is that, is there Bill Clinton running that uh, university? Um, it depends on what is, is. And then he goes on that he was somehow prioritizing the well being. Of his students, that the 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 that 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 somehow that student got ill, or I, I don't even know what he's talking about. This is just absurd, and and he's digging his heels in. I can't. I don't even want to waste your time repeating what this president said, but he lied, and he insanely tried to say that this student was somehow harmed, and that's why it was an incitement of pain. 
And then at the end, he invokes the fact that it's a United Methodist institution affiliated with the United Methodist Church that is bound by the by the uh, words of John Wesley that say, to do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can, on and on. They live by these words. So that wasn't good, so they brought it out. Whatever. Next, I want to talk to you about what happened in Saudi Arabia over Christmas. It is also breathtakingly interesting, if you will, because the Saudis, I'll remind you, still distribute a Quran that talks about in the most common passage, the opening, the Fatiha of the Quran, and that we recite at least 17 times a day, if you pray five times a day for a Muslim. A sentence that says, you know, God will... Uh, uh, um, we pray in the way of God and and, and uh, the merciful, but the beneficent, to protect against those that may go astray, and and maybe not be like those who have gone astray, and then it has a footnote like the Jews and Christians, and then the other anti-Semitic interpretations, as we see in their interpretations of chapter five and on and on. Their interpretations that Christians are no longer monotheists, that somehow they are polytheists, mushrikeen, etc., as they say, is somehow vanishing. On the front of Arab News, the Saudi English publication, they put out a special Christmas edition. And then it said, oh, well, of course this is not a new tradition in most countries around the world. It is a first in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the ancient proverb does say, better late than never, wrote editor-in-chief Faisal Abbas. The symbolic addition couldn't have happened if it wasn't for the remarkable reforms the kingdom has been living under in our leadership. Christmas meal, Christmas turkey, with an Arab twist brought to you by the Saudi chef are only a couple of the headlines lined up for the season in this special Christmas-spirited edition. It's interesting that they don't mention Jesus in any of this. It's just about Christmas spirit. And then it shows Santa with reindeers flying over. I think that's a depiction of Riyadh. With Christmas trees. No angels at the top of the Christmas trees. The word Jesus cannot be found anywhere here recognizing that Christmas is about the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And they could have. I mean, there's more in the Quran about Mary than there is in the Bible. There's a whole chapter on the Virgin Mary. And yet, I think the fascinating thing is, yes, okay, let's be clear here. This is a significant improvement and it will only ultimately have good results as they recognize the reality that the same Quran that allows Muslims to marry Jews and Christians must obviously recognize their holidays, especially the birth of Jesus. But you can't help but point out the areas that show that it's a commercial economic mimicking of Western secularization of Christianity 
and its holiday versus actually a theological identification with the religion itself. So don't pull the wool over our eyes. The, the 2030 plan, as I've said many times, no different than the 2010 plan was a farce, the 2020 plan was a farce, and this one has, for every three, four steps forward, has 10 steps backwards, and from the continued torture and militancy against dissidents and reformers and, and, and smaller sects and interpretations in, in Islam to uh, the reality that ultimately reform is not about getting some of the most harsh parts of Western culture from wrestling to Beyonce and on as being somehow examples of reform. They even had a rage in Saudi Arabia, rage parties across blocks. So, again, mixing of men and women is, I think, ultimately, if they're doing more of that in Saudi Arabia, that's good. Allowing them to drive is good. <laughs> Steps forward. But if it's not bolstered by theological interpretations and modern reinterpretations of the legitimacy of that based in Islamic scripture, then it is a facade. Last, I was struck by a, a text, a chapter in a text on religious leadership, a reference handbook that was put out by a uh, Susan, uh, I'm sorry, Sharon Callahan, came out in 2013. But uh, I just came across the chapter on Islamic reformers in North America by Mpax Muqtadar Khan. And you'd think there'd be a deep discussion in there about modern reformers. And what would that be? Now, he cites a number of them that have begun to question 13th, 14th century interpretations of Islam and trying to get it more modern. But what strikes me is how every one of them is Islamist, except Fazlur Rahman. But Ismail Faruqi, Taha Jabir Alwani, Tariq Ramadan, Khalid Abu Al-Fadl, the ones he puts up as leading reformers in modern thinking. Sure, they have a, a large body of writing about the need to modernize hadith and the illegitimacy of the hadith, especially as Al-Fadl did. Sure, there are um, linguistic jujitsu that's been done by them about how to look at modern law through an Islamic sharia jurisprudence, as Alwani has done. But, but... The universal theme through all of these guys is they don't question the need for Muslims to form an Islamic state. They are part of the political Islamist infrastructure, whether they are rejectors of the Brotherhood movement as a viral movement or not. The bottom line is, is that they have continued to believe in Islamic exceptionalism, no different than Shadi Hamid does at, the, at Brookings. These are not reformers. These are revivalists. These are neo-Islamists. What's amazing to me also the, is the avoidance of the scholars in this review, this textbook, which if you wanted to buy is like $300 on Amazon, so no thank you. But bottom line is, is the chapter is publicly available and downloaded from academia.edu and 
It doesn't have anything written about Fatima Marnisi, who wrote books on Islam and democracy. Nothing about Muhammad al-Ashmawi, who was in prison in Egypt, talked about Islam and Islamic extremism and separation of mosque and state. Nothing about the leadership of dissident Abdullah Naim, who talked about Islam and written books about Islam and the secular state. Nothing by Mustafa Akyol about Islam and liberty. On and on, the real reformers of academic modern anti-Islamism, pro-secularism, critical thinking, are ignored. So don't let the impacts of the world, the Muslim Public Affairs Councils and the other Islamist alphabet soup, the Islamic Society of North America, Islamic Circle of North America, on and on, fool you that the reality is, is that they are not reformists, that they are theocrats in sheep clothing that, that want to ultimately put softer windows, softer window dressing on Islamic supremacism. And while they're minorities in the West, they will defer and say, oh, it doesn't matter. We, we accept the laws of the land. Well, that is a, okay, they're not anarchists, they're not terrorists, but they're still Islamists. Always love bringing to you the latest and greatest when it comes to this front that, that I think speaks to a quarter of the world's population. And if not more, as we try to figure out our own national security interests, our own interest in what's happening to try to be on the right side of history here in the West. And if not more, talking about what's happening in the universities and elsewhere. I think there's a lot for all of us to learn when it comes to many of these Muslim issues. It's an honor to be with you. Look forward to talking to you again on the next episode of Reform This. And find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio. God bless you. We'll see you soon on Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.